Amen. Let's take our Bibles out, turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 9, and um, it's good to see my wife's in the service tonight. Good to see she didn't volunteer for the nursery like last time. <laughs> I feel the pressure tonight. Um, I was told that, the, that there's a baseball game that starts at 7.30 and I got to finish. And, um, and then I had another type of pressure put on me. And I, don't, I don't know how to take this. I, my mother-in-law rode with us to church tonight. And uh, she's talking to uh, your, your aunt. Yeah, your aunt. And um, she said, oh, you don't got to watch the service tonight. Ryan's preaching tonight. And um, I said, this round trip ticket's about to turn into a one-way ticket real quick. And um, so feeling the pressure tonight. And, uh, but Luke chapter 9, um, I'm going to read a couple verses out of here. Uh, before I do, uh, I was reading about an elderly gentleman. He had a serious hearing problem for a number of years. He went to the doctor about his condition, and the doctor was able to have him fitted uh, for a set of hearing aids that finally allowed him to hear again. Uh, so he sent him home, and of course, a month later, he had a follow-up appointment, and the doctor ran some further tests, and he said, wonderful, your hearing is perfect. Your family must be really pleased that you can hear again. And the elderly gentleman replied, oh, I haven't told my family yet. I just sit around and listen to the conversations. I've changed my will three times. And uh, <clears throat> I remember my grandpa telling the story. He lived in a trailer park up in Michigan, and he had hearing aids, and he would always turn it up and hear the neighbors fight next door. And uh, I was like, man. But I want to challenge us here this evening. You know, every time we gather at church, whether it's Wednesday night, Sunday morning, uh, Sunday evening, uh, we hear what the Bible says about many, many things. And uh, if you're listening to what's being preached, if you're listening to what's being taught, uh, there will be some change taking place in your life. Uh, one of the problems that's hurting us as Christians, that's hurting, plugging our churches, is people just aren't listening. Uh, you know, and sometimes it is that they're listening, but they're not doing anything with it. But a lot of times, Christians get caught up, and they're, they're worried about what they're going to eat when they get home. They're worried about uh, this and that. And I get it. We've got problems in our life. But uh, if you'll listen to what the Bible says when it's being preached, uh, each time the church gathers, uh, and you actually apply it, there will be some changes taking place in your life. And I hope to be a help and a blessing uh, and a challenge here this evening. Luke chapter 9. We're going to read verses 51 through verse 56. Luke chapter 9, the Bible says in verse number 51, And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem." And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. We find here a Kind of an interesting story here. We see the disciples with a very interesting reaction uh, to the situation. Uh, the people do not receive Jesus, and they, they say, Lord, will you let us call down fire from heaven to consume them up? And Jesus has to rebuke them. And we find here that he says, Ye know not uh, what manner of spirit ye are of. 
For a couple of minutes this evening, I want to preach on this uh, topic here, sinful seducing spirits that every saint of God ought to steer clear of. Sinful seducing spirits that every saint of God ought to steer clear of. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to come to church. And Lord, I pray that you just speak to our hearts here this evening. We find the disciples here, Lord, they, uh, they, they had a spirit about them that was not right. They had a spirit about them that was, quite honestly, uh, devilish, Lord. And you had to correct them. And Lord, I, I pray that you'll help us with the scripture here this evening. If it happened to the disciples, it can happen to us. If it happened to those that were closest to you, Lord, we're no, uh, we're no different, Lord, it can happen to us. And Lord, I pray you just speak to hearts here this evening. Give me your powers, I preach in Jesus' name, amen. Sinful, seducing spirits that every saint of God ought to steer clear of. We find here in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, an account given in Scripture that reveals to us a shocking and uh, kind of a scary state of mind that the disciples had at this point in their life. No doubt the disciples, having spent plenty of time with Jesus Christ, should have had the Spirit of Christ present in their actions. I mean, I think that would be uh, understandable. You spend time with somebody, you begin to act like them. Unfortunately, we find through their response that they had the Spirit of anything but Christ in their actions. It's through their revealing response in verse 54 that Jesus himself turned and rebuked them with the statement found in verse 55. Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. Rather than having the spirit of the Savior, which, let me remind you, uh, he is here to save and here to deliver and here to help people. They had, it's clear they had the spirit uh, of Satan upon them. For Satan destroys, but the Savior delivers. Now, I, I, I want to say aside, no, I'm not saying they were possessed by Satan. I'm just saying they had a spirit that was devilish. They had a spirit that was, quite honestly, satanic, because that's exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to destroy lives. And so picture this. They're, they're walking to this, this Samaritan village, and uh, this, the, the, the Samaritans received him not. And the disciples said, Lord, can you let us call down fire and consume them up? I mean, real nice guys there, right? Can you imagine being out soul winning, and you knock on a door, and someone just kind of slams the door, and you just start praying down fire? You ask God to pray down fire on their house? Like, how disturbed do you have to be? Uh, how, uh, how, how angry do you have to be to, to get to that point? Uh, but we find here that they had a spirit that was not of Christ. Uh, I'm not saying they weren't saved. I'm not saying that they weren't uh, born again. I'm not saying that they weren't following Christ. What I'm saying is they did not have the spirit of Jesus Christ in their life at this time. And they were very close to Christ. And they were serving Christ. And they were uh, sitting at Jesus' feet, and they were doing all these things, yet they had a spirit about them that was, quite honestly, satanic. Now, if Christians in Jesus' day could have a manner of spirit that was ungodly and sinful, then without a doubt, Christians in our day can also have a manner of spirit that is also ungodly and sinful. Now, let me remind you here what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 1. Uh, the Bible tells us in the last days that Christians would give way to sinful, seducing spirits. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You see, this is a twofold verse here. It's, it's obviously talking about those that will depart from the faith and just turn their back on it and go out into this world. 
I believe there's Christians all over our nation, all over our world that are saved, uh, but they've turned their back on the things of God. And yes, we have a hard time understanding that sometimes. Say, how can someone be saved and, and do that? Well, hey, I don't know. That's between them and God. Uh, but I do know the Bible says that. But let me also remind you here that there are those that can be in church. There are those that can be serving God. There are those that can be, uh, quote unquote, following the Lord. And they can begin a, to depart from the faith in their spirit. You see, the devil does not care uh, what you do uh, necessarily as long as you're not doing it for Christ and as long as you're not doing it in the right spirit and as long as you're not doing God's will for your life. He doesn't care if you're in a church pew. He doesn't care if you're on a church bus. He doesn't care if you're uh, in a church soul winning group. He doesn't care if you're in in the church choir. He does not care. Uh, You see, the, the, the disciples, they were close to Christ and they were following him close and they had a spirit about them. That was not of Christ. And so the goal of us here ought to be the goal of Jesus Christ. Remember what the Bible says in verse 56, uh, that the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And let me remind you here today, a Christian is not here to hurt people. A Christian is not here to destroy people. A Christian is here to help and deliver people. And I, I understand, we, we, have, we have to battle this flesh, and I understand it's, it's hard sometimes. We all have to battle the flesh. We all have, have to battle those seducing, sinful spirits that would come into our, into our life and, and try to get us to do things contrary to God and contrary to how Christ would do things. But we have to realize here, we've got to avoid those seducing spirits. And so let me ask this question, child of God, what manner of spirit are ye of? Now, I find a couple of sinful, seducing spirits throughout Scripture that we all have to steer clear of. You see, uh, we all have to battle this. If we're not careful, uh, we will find ourselves being seduced by these spirits because, hey, they're seducing. They're tempting to us. We all get in the flesh. And if we're not careful, we don't die daily. If we don't submit to the Holy Spirit, that that demonic spirit, that that satanic spirit is going to come along and say, hey, I want you to react this way, or I want you to handle things this way. And you know what we'll be tempted to do? Man, whew, my flesh likes that. Let me do it. Uh, let me act that way. Let me, let me live like that. And I want to give you some seducing spirits uh, that we all have to steer clear of. I want to remind you, these spirits are devilish. These spirits are dangerous. Uh, they're deceiving. They deceive us. They tell us, hey, it's okay to do this. It's okay to, to, to have an outlook like this. It's okay to live like this. But these spirits are destructive, and they're deadly. Uh, If the disciples could have had their way, (laughs) they would have destroyed those people. I mean, it would have been another Sodom and Gomorrah right there. Uh, And so we have to be careful what manner of spirit we're of. The first one I want to point out here tonight is the spirit of selfishness. The spirit of selfishness. You see, the word selfishness means regarding one's own interest chiefly or solely. Uh, I, I can't think about this, but without thinking about Ananias and Sapphira. I'm going to turn over to the book of uh, Acts chapter 5. The Bible says in verse, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 of Acts chapter 5. The Bible says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, that doesn't sound so bad, does it? I mean... Good night. They bring, bring an offering to the Lord. Uh, they're, they're given to the church. 
But before we, we know the story, but before we get any further, let me remind you in verse uh, 34 of chapter 4, neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. You see, here's what's going on here. Everybody that had land and houses, they were selling them and bringing the whole thing to the apostles. And so now that gives clarification. What was so wrong with what they, they still gave a great sum to the Lord. They still sacrificed to the Lord. But what's wrong with what they did? They kept back part. You see, I, I don't know what was going through their head. Uh, you know, but I, I do know this. I, you know, you sell real estate, you buy real estate. Sometimes you get more than you ask for, right? You put it on the market for 200000 and lo and behold, you get two fifty. Uh, you put it on for 300000 and you get 325000 And I don't know, maybe Ananias and Sapphira, they said, Lord, we'll, we'll sell this property for you. I mean, we're going to only get 100000 for it. So we'll sell it for that, and we'll give it to you, Lord, to the church. And bam, all of a sudden, they got 150000 Whew. Now, we were okay with 100000 Lord, but that 50000 I can get a nice chariot. And I can get a nice, uh, some nice robes, and I can get some nice shoes, and I can, get, I can take my wife on a vacation, and uh, we, can, we can remodel this and remodel that. And uh, I don't know what they did, but I do know this. They kept back part. And why did they keep back part? Well, hey, along came a sinful and seducing spirit that said, hey, Ananias and Sapphira, why don't you just keep back part of what you received? God, God doesn't care. He, I mean, good night, you're still giving 100000 What's it matter if you keep back part? I mean, good night, you're giving more than anybody else. God does not care. And you know what happened? That was seducing to them. And I said, that sounds pretty good. And that spirit of selfishness came along and captivated them. And you know what? Ultimately destroyed them. Now, I want to remind us here today, us as Christians, we're no different than Ananias and Sapphira. If we are not careful, we will allow the spirit of selfishness to come into our life, and it will not only destroy us, it will destroy others around us. You see, Christians are selfish over three things, really, our time, our talent, and our treasure. You see, uh, you think about the time that God gives us. I was thinking about this. It's a shame when a Christian will work all the time and even overtime for a job, but won't work any time for Jesus. I mean, come on now. I mean, uh, God gives us all 168 hours in a week. And uh, I get it. We're in the Joe Biden economy. And I get it. Inflation's going through the roof. And I get it. Gas prices are up and everything's up. Uh, but, and sometimes that necessitates you having to work extra. I understand. I get it. But think about this. If, 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 I, was, I was crunching some numbers. The average American, 40 hours a week working. Let's say 10 hours commuting. 56 hours sleeping, that's eight hours a night. Let's say eight hours a week watching sports. I mean, that's two football games in full. Uh, 20 hours family time, 10 hours of church. You go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You say 10 hours worth of church during the week. And you know what that leaves us with? 144 hours out of 168. We still have 24 hours still in our week that God's given all of us. But you know what the problem is? The problem is not we don't have enough time the problem is we've gotten that spirit of selfishness in our life, and we say, I can't sacrifice that, or I can't do this, or I can't do that, and look, I, I understand, we're all busy, we all got things we got to do, but is it too much to ask 
to give up some of our time for Jesus? I mean, let's be honest here. Pastor's got a great big vision, but pastor can have all the vision he wants if the people do not get out of this spirit of selfishness and realize it, it can be about anything. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not just preaching at you. I'm preaching at myself. We are all seduced. We are all tempted with this sinful uh, spirit of selfishness in our life. And if we're not careful, it'll destroy the very thing we love. It'll destroy the very people we love. We, we, sometimes we have this idea about our church, and sometimes we have this idea about our country that, oh, it could never be destroyed, and it could never uh, go to nothing. It could never become uh, like other countries and like other churches. But you let the spirit of selfishness get in. Oh, absolutely it can. You see, we have to realize here, Christians are selfish over their time. They're selfish over their talent. How many music artists, how many people in this world have taken the talent? I mean, I've read story after story of famous music artists out in the world, country, rock, this and that. They grew up in a Baptist church. Now, I don't know if it was a Baptist church of our stripe. I don't know if it was an independent fundamental, but how many times I've read about this person grew up in a Baptist church, heretic. This person grew up in a Baptist church, country singer. This person grew up in a Baptist church, uh, movie star. And, you know, they took their talents that God gave to them to serve him with, and they said, you know what? I'm going to be a little selfish with this, and I'm going to take the talent that God gave me, and I'm going to use it for myself. And I'm not going to serve the Lord. And you know what? They're selfish with their talent. But the last one that we can be selfish over is this, our treasure. Now, you think about this, God's given us a lot of treasure. Before you think I'm just talking about riches, I'm not. First off, I think about redemption. Yeah, what greater treasure do you and I have than redemption? And you know what? God saved our soul. I remember the day I got saved at 14, and I remember the, the dread that I had in my heart. I remember the burden I had in my heart. God saved my soul, and you know what? How dare I take that treasure and hoard it to myself? How dare I take that treasure and say, you know what? I'm glad I got it, but no one else is getting any of it. Hey, we get selfish with that treasure of redemption. Sometimes we get selfish with our riches. I, I, was, I heard a preacher preach once, and he said, God prospers you not to increase your standard of living, but to increase your standard of giving. And how backwards we get that sometimes. Oh, thanks for the raise, God. And now I can go and get this, and now I can go remodel this. And I'm, hey, God's not against you uh, having nice things. But how many times do Christians sadly take the, the, the very blessings of God and use it on themselves and not for what maybe God wanted them to use it for? And, and so we get selfish with our treasure, the treasure of riches, our treasure of resources. Did you ever stop to think God wants you to take what you have to use it for his glory? That car that God gives you. Maybe he wants you to pick up people for church with that. I, that was a lesson I had to learn uh, when I was pastoring for a couple years. I mean, uh, it was a small church. And if we wanted people in, I mean, you, all, you know how it is. We go soul winning and people say, oh, I'll be there. And then they don't show up. And you go back and they're like, I don't have a ride. And you're like, well, hey, call the church office and they'll, they'll send someone your way. Or we'll get a bus to pick you up. And it's like, hey, you're the contact. Pick them up. You're the con you led them to the Lord. Pick them up. And I had to learn that lesson. I said, you know what? If I want people to come to church, I'm going to have to make the effort. And I remember having a conversation with my wife. I said, you know what? That's a lot of extra driving. That's a lot of extra wear and tear in the car. But I said, just maybe. I mean, I mean, not the smartest guy. I was like, just maybe God 
allows my car to keep on running so I can pick up people to church. Just maybe God allows my car to keep running so I can go soul winning with it. Just maybe God allows these things in my life so that I can use them for him. And if I get selfish with what God's given me, there just might be a time where God says, I'm going to take that from you. You see, we have to understand here, the spirit of selfishness destroys more Christians, more churches than anything uh, that we would think is a big and a bad sin. Why? That sinful, seducing spirit comes along and knocks on our heart and says, hey, you got it good. You don't want to mess up a good thing. You got it good. You don't, want to, you don't want to ruin this and ruin that. And if we're not careful, God gives us nice things. If we're not careful, we'll turn in these churches that, you know what? We don't want to get the new rug messed up. We, right, now, we got these new chairs coming in. We don't want uh, that, those new chairs to get messed up. And you start bringing in people that are hurting, and they might stink. And they might uh, not have it all together, and uh, they might uh, ruin some things here. And if we're not careful, that spirit of selfishness creeps in. And that's why we got to be mindful like Jesus said. He looked at the disciples and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit you're of. He said, hey, I didn't come to destroy people, gentlemen. Hey, I don't know what you think. I mean, uh, yeah, I, uh, Elijah called down fire from heaven, but gentlemen, that's, he didn't come to just destroy people. There was a reason why he did that. I didn't give you the power to do these things so you can go around killing people and go around hurting people. He said, you're here to help. And if they don't receive you, hey, just brush the dust off your feet and, and wipe the spit off your face and go on to the next door. You're not here to kill them. You're not here to destroy lives. You're here to help lives. And here's what the sad truth is in our country. This is what D.L. Moody said one time. He said, there are many Christians who have life. They've got salvation. Uh, they have the truth. But like the 7,000 who had not bowed a knee unto Baal, they are not good for much when it takes the Almighty God to find them. And you see, all over our country, we've got Christians who, they have the truth, they have the answer for our nation, they have the help for our churches, they have the help for our communities and our cities, and yet they selfishly sit by and say, you know what, I hope somebody will do something about it. I hope somebody will take the truth to them. I hope, I hope we get a new Senate in. I hope we get a new uh, House of Representatives in. I hope we get a new president in. And hey, we've got the answer. And you know what? We can't sit there. I mean, I'm glad there's, there were 7,000 that didn't bow the knee. But where were they? Right? And so let's not be like that. That's the spirit of selfishness. Number two, I want to remind you here, the spirit of self-sufficiency. The spirit of self-sufficiency. Another sinful, seducing spirit that you and I got to steer clear of in our life is the spirit of self-sufficiency. I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 1. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. I'm going to skip over to chapter 17 now. And I'm going to read uh, in verse 14 of chapter 17. We find here, <clears throat> the Bible says, there's a man that approached, and I'll skip down, you know, there, a man approaches Jesus and says, Lord, have mercy on me. Uh, my son, he, he's a lunatic, he's possessed, and he's doing this. And look at verse 16. I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Well, that's interesting. Jesus gave him the power to cure him. But what happened? He brings them to the disciples, and you know what? They had no power. You know, talk about being given 
all power and having no power. Uh, what happened? I don't know. You read the chapter as it goes on, and Jesus says, this kind cometh by only prayer and fasting. You know what happened to the disciples? They started getting that spirit of self-sufficiency. They started saying, you know what? God gave us his power, and, and somewhere along the line said, we don't got to depend on Jesus. Hey, remember when you uh, first started out serving the Lord and how, how, how nervous you were and how uh, anxious you were, and you prayed and you said, God, I can't do this without you, and God, I can't serve without you, and God, I can't meet needs without you, and God, I can't do this on my own. God, you got to help me. And then now you've been doing it for a while, and you've gotten a little self-sufficient. Ah. I, you know, we, we know all the talk, right? I couldn't do nothing without the Lord. And then we go about our bus routes, and we haven't prayed and asked the Lord to help us. We go soul winning, and we knock on doors, and we haven't asked the Holy Spirit to go before us. Uh, we get up and sing, and we haven't asked the Lord to be a, help us to be a blessing to others. We uh, get up to preach, and we haven't uh, gotten right with God and asked God to use us as a conduit to reach others and help others. And see, the spirit of self sufficiency is destroying a lot of lives it's destroying our churches it's destroying christians it's destroying homes all because we think we can do it on our own uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, you know uh, a couple weeks ago i was out mowing lawn and uh bam felt a little burning in my shoulder and the next thing i know well two days later i didn't have a problem right off the bat two days later just severe pain shooting down and uh, come to find out herniated disc i'm like i'm 36 what in the world? Uh, that's what happens to old people. And uh, I guess that means I'm old. And, um, you know, so uh, they're, give, they're putting me through all this and that. And I was talking to one of my doctors uh, the other week, and I was telling her how I was frustrated. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. I can't mow my grass. I can't do this. I can't lift up anything with this arm. And uh, I was just telling her kind of how frustrating it is to not be able to do what you want to do and you need to do. And uh, she made a statement to me, and it was kind of like, you know, it kind of, in a way, slapped me upside the face. She said, you can't do everything yourself. You have to let people help you. And I'm like, who does she think she is? You know, I didn't ask for counseling here. I'm just, I want to air, I just want to vent some frustrations here. And I was, but I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? How true that is. Because, you know, honestly, I like to do everything I can. I like to do everything myself. But you know what? You can't. And what a reminder that is to all of us here today. We think we can do things in our own power. And God has a way of putting a stop to that. God has a way of halting that. God has a way of changing our circumstances to remind us that, you know what? You can't do everything yourself. You have to let a person help you. You see, we so much depend on ourselves for everything. God gives us a brain. God gives us strength. God gives us uh, abilities. And if we're not careful, we say, I got this, God. You can just, uh, you can just sit over there, God. Just be a spectator. Watch what I do. I know we would never say that, but if we don't ask God to help us, that's what we're doing. The spirit of self-sufficiency. Hey, that sinful, seducing spirit comes along to every Christian from time to time and says, hey, you've been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years. You got this. You know what to do. And you know what you got to do? You got to stay away from that. You got to say, hey, I need the Lord just as much as when I got saved. I need the Lord just as much as when I started serving him. Number two, the spirit of sufficiency. That leads me to the third spirit here, and I've got I've to hurry here. The spirit of superiority. The spirit of superiority. That word superiority means this preeminence. 
the quality of being more advanced or higher, greater or more excellent than another in any respect. You know, we hear that word preeminence. I, I promise you, probably all of us are, have a name going through our head, Diotrephes. You know, the Bible says over in 3 John, 3 John chapter, or verse 9 and 10, the Bible says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. How sad. Diotrephes, you study his name, it means nourished up by the God. Now let me remind you here, it's not speaking of the sovereign God, it's speaking of the self-God, Right? Diotrephes, he was, he was full of the self-God. He wasn't full of the sovereign God, Jehovah God. He was full of himself. And we find that sinful spirit, that seducing spirit that Diotrephes had, is the same sinful spirit that the devil had, which was the sinful spirit of pride. I remind you in Isaiah chapter 14 and verses 12 and 15, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. You see, let me remind you here today. The devil, Lucifer, thought that in his heart. And let me remind you here today, the way that one thinks in his heart, in private, is the way that one will always act in public. You see, it starts out in here. And if you've got a spirit of superiority in here, it's eventually going to translate to out there. It's going to translate to how you act around people and how you treat people. Uh, you're gonna, you know, we, we talk about people walking around, and you've heard this statement. Some people so full of themselves... If it rained, they drowned. You know, they got their nose so high up, and they think them so mighty and so high and mighty that if it rained, it would drown them. And we have to understand here, Lucifer in his heart thought he was superior to God. He said, I will ascend. I will exalt. I will sit. I will ascend. I will be like in Diotrephes, like the devil. He had an eye disease. He had his eyes on himself so much that he thought everything revolved around I, right? John writes the letter to the churches, and he says, hey, he's trying to help the churches. He's trying to encourage the churches. He's trying to correct the churches. He's trying to challenge the churches. And Diotrephes says, hey, if that, he said, only I can do that. If that ain't me, I'm going to get all upset, and I'm going I'm to create a, a ruckus in the church. It, only I can do that. Who does this John think he is? He, you know, and what did he do? He had the spirit of superiority. Diotrephes thought he was superior to everyone else. He thought he was superior to the preacher, John. Hey, how many times Christians go around, pre pastor gets up, preaches, another preacher gets up, preaches, and like, what is he talking about? Who does he think he is? I'm my own man, or I can make my own decisions, or I don't agree with that. Hey, you know what? It doesn't matter what you think. You're falling into the trap of Diotrephes. You think you're superior to the preacher, John. Uh, that's what Diotrephes did. You think you're superior? Sometimes Christians think they're superior to the brethren. We all know churches around. We got one here in, here in Jacksonville. Uh, they're known as the, the elitist church, right? 
That's where all the wealthy go, and they, they hobnob each other, and they go around, and they, you know, and I, I've had people tell me that we're not welcome down there because that, we, we're just too poor, and we don't fit in. And uh, how sad that Christians, that people that are saved and born again, God saved them from a bottle. God saved them from drugs. God saved them from a gutter. God saved them from uh, wickedness and fornication and you name it can get to the point where they say, I'm better than thou. That's what Dachafis did. That sinful, seducing spirit came along and said, hey, you know what? I'm better than you. I'm better than you. And I don't have to do what the preacher says. But ultimately, this is what it means. They think they're better than God. Right? Dachafis thought he was better than than God. I mean, that's what devil thought. And Dachafis had the same issue, thought he was better than God. Friend, let me remind you here today, there's nothing about us that's good. God uses us in spite of us. God blesses us in spite of us. Yes, you can do some things to bring the blessings of God in your life, but it's not because of you, it's because of God. You're just obeying God's word and God's blessing you because of it, but it's not because it's you as a good person or you as a good servant. You're just obeying, and God's using you to be a blessing. Let us get this spirit of superiority, not just out of us, but far, far away from us. You see, James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Dutch, if he's got it wrong, he's like, I will ascend, and he got it wrong. He thought that it was his job to exalt him, and he started kicking the preacher out of his life. He started kicking the brethren out of his life. He ultimately kicked out God out of his life. And he said, all right, I got everybody out, so that means I'm the only one that's left. And you know what? God had to humble that man. Hey, don't let that be us. Don't let that be us. You see, that will kill your life. That will kill your home. That will kill this church. If we ever get that spirit, that sinful, seducing spirit, it comes upon all of us from time to time. It creeps around and it tempts us and tests us. And I'll be honest with you, our flesh says, yeah. I want to do that. I want to act like that because that's what our flesh does. And we got to stay away from it. And we got to avoid it. And we got to stay clear from it. That spirit of superiority. And that leads me to the last spirit uh, that I'll talk about here this evening, and I'll be done. Number four, the spirit of sedition. The spirit of sedition. You see, another sinful, honestly seducing spirit that tempts all of us is the sinful, seducing spirit of sedition. You say, Brother French, what is uh, sedition? That's a, that's a big word. Uh, it means conduct or speech that incites people to rebel against authority. That incites people to rebel against authority. I remind you of Korah in Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, of Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men and rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Uh-oh. <laughs> what are they saying right there? Are they, are, are they, are they trying to create something here? Kind of sounds like uh, old school Antifa there. Uh, kind of sounds like these 
groups of rebellion that try to stir up the people. They take people who are prominent, and they take people who are renowned, and they convince them that, hey, they convince them of the spirit of superiority. They're like, you're a man of God, too, and you're uh, this and this, and God's amongst you. You don't have to listen to him. You don't have to follow him. You can do it yourself. And I, w- I want you to be mindful of this. Most strife in life is really a battle over submission. You think about that. Most strife in life, you take any area, at work, in a church, in a school, in a college, anywhere in life, in a home, most of the strife that comes is comes from a battle of submission. In every child of God has areas in his life in which he is a leader. But every child of God also has areas in his life in which he is a follower. And as such, hey, we all have to learn to submit. Now, let me remind you here today, this battle that we have against this spirit of sedition. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 2, the Bible says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, notice what God's saying in those verses here. He's saying, first off, there's always a higher authority regardless of position. We have a governor, and you know what? There's a higher authority than him. That would be a president. Now, again, we understand there's a separation of powers, and I'm not getting into that all argument, but there's a higher power than him. We have a president, and you know what? There's a higher power than him. You say, who's that? That'd be God. I mean, maybe there's not a more powerful person on the planet than the president, but hey, you know what? God's still over him. You say, well, I'm just a Sunday school teacher, and I can do what I want in my class, and I can call the shots, and I can do this. Hey, you know what? You still got someone over you. You don't got supreme power. You may say, well, I'm a bus captain. I can do whatever I want on my bus. Hey, you still got a bus superintendent, and then you got a pastor over you. And then you got uh, God over you. There's always a higher authority over you regardless of position. And God says, hey, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Not only that, he goes on to say, authority comes from God. Authority comes from God. For there is no power but of God. And as much as it pains us sometimes to say, that leader that we got that we don't like called the president, Bible says he's ordained of God. Now, I know that's a, that's a thing we just don't want to admit sometimes, but you know what? The Bible says God lifts up rulers and he puts down rulers, and if that's who God's given us, hey, you know what? We have a tendency as Americans to allow our patriotism to overrule Bible principles. Now, I'm not for what's going on in this country, and I'm not for, but you know what? Our country thinks it's okay to rebel at everything. Our country thinks it's okay to burn down cities and burn down communities and go and rob and loot and go down the New York City and go to all the high-end stores and break glass and steal everything, all because they don't agree with the authority they got. And mind you, God gives us the leaders we deserve. But God is never for rebellion. I don't care if it's, here's something we sometimes hear. Well, you know, you ought to rebel against this world. Hey, if you're rebelling against this world, if you're obeying God, that's not rebellion. You're obeying God. Uh, The world might call it that, but you're not rebelling. We have got to get out of our mind that rebellion in any shape, in any form, is acceptable. Because you know what? Authority comes from God. And that's when, if authority tells you to do something that's sinful, 
you know what? You obey God. But if authority tells you to do something that, hey, it's not breaking Bible principle, and it's not uh, a sin, and it's not this and that, you know, you have to submit to authority. I don't agree with the tax rate. I don't agree with, with this and that. But you know what? They're the authority over me. I'm a citizen of this country. I have to submit. And authority comes from God. We find here authority is ordained by God. The powers that be are ordained by God. Could it just be that God's trying to teach us all a lesson with what we have going on in our country of, hey, you know what? This is what rebellion brings along. This is what rebellion, and we've cultivated a, a, a system of rebellion in our schools and in our homes and in our higher institutions and all these things, this thing of rebellion. And could God just be saying to us, okay, if you want to live in rebellion and train in rebellion, have the results of rebellion, chaos. When you don't have rebellion, you know what? There's security. When you don't have rebellion, there's order. But when you have rebellion, there's chaos. And there's, uh, there, there's crimes. Resistance to authority is resistance to God. Whatsoever, therefore, resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. You see, resistance to authority is resistance to God. Friend, uh, I'm here to tell you, even in a church, this can creep in. You can, you can get in church for a while and you can say, I know more than that, pastor. I don't think we ought to do that. I don't think, you know what? You don't have to always agree with everything, but don't you go around like Cora and say, hey, I don't agree with this, so I'm going to stir up the people, and I'm going to create a rebellion, and I'm going to split this church, and I'm going to do this and this. You know what? God don't bless that, and God will judge that, and God will destroy that, because you know what? Resistance to authority always results in destruction. They that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. I like what Brother Gray said. You know, Brother Gray, he'll be here in a week or two. You either support a vision or you support a division. You either support a vision or you support a division. There's no in-between. There's no, well, I'm for it, but I think it should be done this way. Now, that's rebellion. I, I, I'm mostly for it, but, uh, you know, if I was calling the shots, I'd do this and this and this. Hey, you aren't supporting. You're, you're creating a division here. And you know what, friend? God's not saying that. We have to agree with every single little thing, but you better keep it to yourself, and you better take it to God, and you better be careful when that sinful, seducing spirit comes along and says, hey, hey, Joe Christian, hey, Susie Christian, uh, you know better than them. Hey, teenagers, you better be careful when that sinful, seducing spirit comes to you and says, hey, your mom and dad don't know what they're talking about. They're just uh, uh, old fuddy-duddies. They don't know what they're talking about. You can make your own decisions, and you get tempted to rebel at them. Uh, but you know what? Even as adults, we better be careful. That boss, he doesn't know. Doesn't he know I'm already overloaded? I'm not doing this. I can't do this. Hey, you better be careful. You say, who's he? Well, he's the boss. <laughs> he's the one that... Make sure you get paid. He's the one that uh, uh, doesn't go to HR and say, or go to his boss and say, hey, I need to cut this person. That's who he is. And you know what? You don't have to like everything. But you know what? Don't go around like Cora and saying, hey, I'm a man of God too. And you guys are men of God. And we've got the spirit of God amongst us. Who is this Moses? You see that sinful, seducing spirit that comes along. Hey, friend. It's unfortunate, but like I said before, as I turn to our text verse, what did the Bible say uh, in verse uh, number uh, 54? 
And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, remember, what did they see? They got rejected. What does the Bible say? They said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. You see, when we find these spirits, these sinful, seducing spirits, that honestly the Bible says in the latter times would cause some to depart from the faith, you know, it's not always heresy. Sometimes it's a spirit of selfishness. Sometimes it's a spirit of self-sufficiency. Sometimes it's a spirit of superiority. And sometimes it's a spirit of sedition. And so let me challenge you here today. Hey, you know what? When that spirit comes to you and it comes to me and it comes to all of us, they say, get away from me. Treat him like he's got COVID. <laughs> treat him like he's got uh, whatever else out that you're scared of. Uh, treat him like he's got the, the, the nastiest flu you've ever had. And you know what? You say, hey, you get away from me. I, I want to have the spirit of Christ in me. I don't want that devilish spirit around me. I don't want to be acting like the devil himself. And you know what? Sinful, seducing spirits that every saint of God ought to steer clear of. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening.